Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we get to sit down and have a conversation with our pastor, Eric Zellner, and learn how God's Word applies to our lives. Welcome back to Conversation. So glad you're listening today. Eric, how are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Will? I'm doing great. Uh, we're just coming off uh, finishing The Fruits of the Spirit last, I guess, two weeks ago. Yes. And we are going to be starting not a series, but just kind of a one-off topic today Yeah. Um, about what is liturgy, how does Christ Pres do their liturgy, the word liturgy, like what does that mean? Right. You know, I'm not sure. I don't yeah, know if you're sure, but no, uh, I think you know. Well, that, that's you know what I wanted to start with is just by asking you. You know, if somebody was to ask you, what's worship like at Christ Presbyterian? Uh, how how would you describe it? Um, that I mean, that's that's a tough question because it kind of depends on who I'm talking to. Um, coming from, I, I came from a very uh, contemporary mega church mm-hmm. uh, background, um, growing up and raised in it, and then coming to Christ Pres, I would immediately said super traditional yeah it feels traditional to you yep. and then the more i'm in christ prez the less i think that <laughs> um so it, it's just yeah. who am i talking to um i'm not quite sure to be honest the way i would characterize it is by its fellowship me and mm. uh, my wife and i um one thing we love about christ prez is that it really does feel like a family like feel like a home feels like a church mm-hmm. that we can serve in um come out of and serve with others and, and come together and worship the Lord. That's excellent. I, you know, I, yeah, even your even your comment to, to say, well, when I first got there, I would have said it's highly traditional. We have, uh, I, I had a conversation with a, a visitor, it's been several months ago, but on, on the day that they visited, uh, when they told me where they were visiting from, uh, I knew that our church was going to feel to them uh, too contemporary, which I thought was funny. So they were they were uh, to the right of where I am uh, or where our church is, I'd say. So I mentioned that only because some there's so many words that get tossed around when we're talking about uh, worship and we're talking about uh, liturgy and we're talking about traditional or contemporary. There's a lot of words that get tossed around, and I've noticed that a lot of them are confusing. They're not actually helpful in helping us isolate and explain what we actually do and why we do it. And so one of those, uh, for sure, is the concept of traditional. And so what what people often mean when they say traditional worship, they may they may mean uh, well they just sing hymns. Uh, they may mean that there was no um, no band, there was just a piano and an organ. That that may mean what they mean by traditional. Other people I've heard. Um, they would they would contrast a liturgical church with a contemporary church, meaning a church that they think seems highly liturgical, and they might think Anglican or Catholic or even uh, some really stiff, awkward Presbyterians. They might say they're, it's a highly liturgical church. I've heard people explain Christ Pres as liturgical, um, and and uh, I think what I would want to mention for the sake of our our folks is I think that liturgical and non-liturgical is a false dichotomy. I mean, and and here's why I say that. Um, Every church places a value on something. Um, And so 
the word liturgy, anytime I'm trying to scan through a word in, a, in the English language, if I want to know how it's been corrupted in modern thought, I'll go back. Webster's Dictionary in 1828 tends to give you a sense of where a word was 150, 200 years ago. And so I use uh, Webster's Dictionary, this 1828 version, and I look it up. And so liturgy is described there as, in a general sense, all public ceremonies that belong to divine service, meaning worship of God. Hence, in a restricted sense, among the Romanists, it would be the Mass, and among Protestants, the common prayer book or formularies of public prayer. So he's obviously writing in the context of the Church of England versus um, the Roman Catholic Church. So, but but still, we're left with a great picture of what it what it actually means, and that is that that it is it is the form and order of your worship. So, some churches might begin with uh, four worship songs, and they would be kind of uh, praise oriented, meaning uh, multiple instruments included in that. Um, but we we should acknowledge they are also liturgical even if they don't say, hey, we're a liturgical church, because what they've done is they actually have a very specific order of worship. All liturgy means is an order of worship um, and, and the, the function of each of those orders. So um, I know lots of PCA churches that would be on a, <clears throat> on a sliding scale from, from what people would commonly call contemporary to traditional. Um, and what they're usually saying is actually just about the the songs. But what often gets caught up in that is whether they can they feel a sense of a tight liturgy or not. Well, uh, if you try to go to a church that you think of as very contemporary and you try to break up the uh, the four songs that are beginning the worship service, you're not going to be able to do that. It's because it's a that's a liturgy. It's a form of worship that they are they've decided that's the way they want to do it. So, um I think it's important to to say there's it's a false dichotomy, liturgical versus non-liturgical. Uh at Christ Pres what we do is we own up to the fact that there is a liturgy, there is an order of worship to it. Um and it it's designed to flow according to the the forms of worship that are prescribed in the scriptures. And and what I mean like does does the Bible uh, require or teach that puppet ministry should be a part of an order of worship. No. Nowhere in the Bible are you going to find. <laughs> are you sure? Um, <laughs> let me rethink that. Second Hesitations, <laughs> chapter 4. Um, no, the, nowhere in the scriptures could you find the puppet ministry is a part of that. Nor could you, you know, nor can you find, um, you know, that. Uh, that basketball is a part of uh, worship. And so there's certain things that are that are excluded by virtue of the fact that the Bible doesn't instruct us to use those as part of worship. So what does the Bible instruct us to use as part of worship? I think the uh, the way you can take this as a New Testament believer is to acknowledge that some forms of worship which were a part of Old Testament worship didn't carry forward, right? We don't still slaughter lambs as a part of our worship. But Old Testament worship was very, very bloody. So when people want to tell me, well, you know, what you need in worship is dance. And 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 so it's a little bit corrupted for New Testament worship or Christian worship not to have dance as a part of the element uh, or a or a, um, an overly expressive exuberance like jumping and hooping or things like that. Well, listen, um, you don't 
you don't find those expressed in the New Testament as a form of worship. When you see King David dancing before the Lord, um, those are very special services um, in very particular times in very particular places. How do I understand what the New Testament church and the apostles of Christ began to to do in building the church? Well, Acts chapter 2, as soon as uh, we start reading about the the conversion of people at Pentecost, as soon as we start seeing people joining the church, 2.42, Acts 2.42 says that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Those four elements are the elements that that the Scripture really prescribes as a part of Christian worship. So when we talk about that, when we say uh, the apostles' teaching, we recognize that the apostles are teaching the things which were taught in Scripture and taught by Jesus. So we want to be people of the Word of God. We want to have uh, God's Word sprinkled throughout our, our order of worship. We want to have preaching, which is the teaching of those Scriptures. I'll skip over fellowship for just a second because I, w- I want to come back and explain it. The The concept of the breaking of bread in Acts 2.42, this is not they devoted themselves to church suppers on the lawn. They devoted themselves to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper that Jesus had instituted. And so um, Reformed believers have always said, well, what they devoted themselves to was the Word of God and the sacraments themselves. And then also this element of prayer. They devoted themselves to praying. Um, and so uh, our order of worship is structured by the apostles' teaching, uh, which is the teaching of the Scripture and God's Word, the sacraments, baptism and the Lord's Supper, and it's also structured with the elements of prayer to it as well. And then, so I'll circle back to the idea of fellowship. Uh, when you, I can't remember, when you were describing Christ's prayers and you talk about now, one of the things we value so much is the fellowship. It feels like it's a home. Well, you can manufacture that particular element in worship um, by saying, okay, we're going to stop right now, greet your neighbor next to you, right? You can do that, and you and I have both been to churches where you do that. You say hello to your neighbor. Um, I am not convinced that that's, <laughs> that that's what they devoted themselves to. Hey, pause, greet the person sitting next to you. I don't think that's what they were doing. I think they devoted themselves to the fact that we are a body and Christ is our head. And we're going to share fellowship and enjoy one another in relationships, deep, meaningful relationships. And so Christ's prayers as part of the worship has the, the Bible, prayers, sacraments, uh, and song. Because we do know also that it, not just in Acts 2.42, but in so many other places, uh, Jesus has them, they're singing. Um, even right before the night of his crucifixion, Jesus was singing Psalm 118 with his disciples before he goes to the cross, um, and we see also in the in the book of Acts, there's singing and there's various hymns that are uh, listed in scriptures, by, and they're listed by virtue of Paul citing them as statements that are commonly used. And so, our our worship contains all of those elements. So when I'm describing that to people, there's a big word that's used to explain it, and that is um, the regulative principle of worship. And, and, and all that means, if you boil it down, is that God gets to regulate what elements are used in worship. And so the puppet ministry doesn't get to make the cut, nor does the dancing ministry get to make the cut um, as part of worship. Right? Um, 
But when God regulates what those elements are, then mankind has to adapt because man is not the one being worshipped. God's the one being worshipped. So therefore, we want to incorporate the elements that he's instructed. Yeah, I was kind of about to comment, too, on all four of those um, ordinary means of grace and uh, Mm -hmm. those objects, I mean, those ways of worship, Mm -hmm. the word, sacraments, fellowship, and prayer. Yeah. Um, All four of those things, even fellowship, the object of it is God. That's right. And so when we come to worship at church, the object of that should be God. That's right. No, that's I I think that's exactly right. One of the things I I suspect that people probably notice when they come to Christ Pres is it um, is they're not being entertained. Like Mm -hmm. it's actually a a worship that's designed to be and directed in the direction of God. I tell our pastors, I tell anybody who leads and works in music, anybody who's going to be standing in front of the congregation, I say, hey, y'all, our job is to kind of get out of the way and point to Christ. That's our job. That's my job when I'm preaching. I don't want to be a big, massive obstacle. I want to get out of the way and point to Christ. Um, that's our that's our goal. So um, any other follow-up comments? I had one yeah. question. Sure. Um, kind of talking about the, the way in which Christ Press worships and the way in which the church worships. In Scripture, you see a lot of... Um, places where it puts priority on uh, an individual or personal worship and the priority on corporate worship. How does the church incorporate both of those things into its liturgy? Yeah, that's actually a great, that's a great question. I, I think we, we are acknowledging when we come together for worship on Sunday, we are, we are doing something that's commanded in scripture, but also um, it's commanded in scripture that you and I should meditate on God's word, that we should pray personally um, and things like that. But in coming together, you'll if you were to sit in a worship service at Christ Pres, one of the things you'd pick up on would be that there are moments and times for personal uh, pause and reflection and prayer. So we have a confession of sin that's silent, and uh, Eric Zellner sits up there and confesses his own sins to the Lord. Um, and everybody else, I, su- I suspect, is doing the same thing. And then we come back together and we, and we confess corporately. Um, when we have various prayers, that's a part of it. The other part, of course, is is our prelude is designing is designed to lead people into pensive thought about the upcoming worship. We take a moment between uh, the announcements, which I I love to get the announcements out of the way, and the actual start of worship, and and we say, and now let's take a moment to quietly prepare our hearts for worship. That's that's me personally engaging my own heart, saying, okay, I'm going to lay aside the. Um, potluck supper coming up in two weeks and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fix my eyes on Christ um, and then of course the giving of tithes and offerings it's done corporately but individual people do it uh, preaching of the word it is done by one person standing up there but each person through the ministry of the Holy Spirit is is to take God's word and grab hold of it uh, with the help of the Spirit while the Spirit applies and convicts and touches various points and um and you're, you're supposed to be engaging in those things personally. Um, a classic example of the obvious would be the opposite of that. I'm sitting there listening to God's Word preached, and I look around and I go, gosh, I wish Will Levant was here. He, he needs to hear that this week, right? That's, that's not how Amen. we— right? <laughs> Amen, I do. But the, you know, the, the reality is that um, when God's Word is preached, it's actually meant—it's preaching to me as a person, um, individually. Uh, so— that's what I would say. There's 
liturgical and non-liturgical, and then that concept of the regulative principle of worship, just explaining what that is. But then the other thing, and this, uh, you mentioned the phrase, it, ordinary means of grace. Um, I hear people talk about um, people who are maybe um, more, what they think of themselves as more conservative than me. They'll sometimes use the term ordinary means of grace in a way that it's not actually meant to be used. What they mean by ordinary means of grace, they're saying, well, we're a traditional music church. But the ordinary means of grace are simply, when we talk about what are the ordinary means of grace, we simply mean the way in which Christ ordinarily communicates uh, salvation and Christ and redemption to us. The uh, Westminster Confession of uh, the Shorter Catechism says, what are the outward uh, means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption. And the answer is the outward and ordinary means whereby Christ communicates to us the benefits of redemption are his ordinances, especially the word, sacraments, and prayer, all of which are made effectual uh, to the elect for salvation. And so when we talk about ordinary means of grace, we're not saying anything about musical style. We're actually saying we simply believe that the way that Christ communicates the benefits of redemption are through the word, through prayer, through the sacraments. That has a lot of implications, right? I really do believe that when the word is preached, that's the sufficient way for God to send forth his word to his people. He, that's a sufficient way for him to communicate these um, the benefits of redemption. When I take the sacraments and I share the sacraments with others on Sunday morning, um, Christ is really uh, extending this, not as a, like the bread is in, in itself grace to me, but it is picturing that. And it's one of the ways in which God, in his kindness, has condescended to give us an element that you can touch and taste and feel because he uses the sacraments in order to communicate the benefits of salvation to me and who Christ is. And prayers work the same way. So I always want people, you know, I don't think ordinary means what you think it means. Um, I always want to say that to people who tell me, no, 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 we're an ordinary means of grace church because you play songs that are not straight out of the Trinity hymnal. Well, you're making a, a dichotomy a, that's not there. Um, does that make sense? And that makes a lot of sense. Um, it reminded me kind of you talking about how the worship um, reflects Christ and, and Christ's uh, saving um, power. Um, a question, you know, a quote kind of came to my head. It's something I wrote down over here that I might read out. It's from yeah. Brian Chappell um, yeah. in his book, Christ-Centered uh, Worship. It says, The common pattern of the order of worship in the church reflects the pattern of the progress of the gospel in the heart. Mm. Uh, which I thought was kind yeah. of all-encompassing of what you've been talking about this session. Yeah, that, and, and here's what, yeah, Dr. Chapel was one of my professors in seminary. I really like that idea because what he's also doing, and we can talk about this real quickly, he's also reminding us that the, that the order of worship is, is meant to be something's happening here that's moving us towards Christ and the cross, Christ and him crucified, raised for us. Um, and so by way of our own order of worship, right? We we begin with a with a prelude, which has people reflecting, right? Welcome and announcements. We want to get those finished and and done. But the call to worship is exactly what Dr. Chapel's talking about. It's moving us towards an invitation to becoming to worship God, and that's that entirely hinges on the character of who God is. 
Uh, and then in view of who God is, our worship moves directly from that call to a song. Wait, we are extolling and rejoicing over who this God is. Um, and then immediately after that song, we go to the Lord in prayer. We, in, our, in our worship, it's called an invocation. We're actually asking the Holy Spirit to be present with us. We're invoking the presence of the Spirit so that Christ uh, extends the ministry of the Spirit among us so that we might know him in, in worship, but also that we're received in his presence through that same Holy Spirit. And then in our worship, I'll, I'll often include in that spot next a confession of faith, whereby what we're doing is um, we're confessing the common faith that uh, churches, that people have believed from the foundation of the early church, which means we're kind of, uh, we're giving testimony to deep, rich doctrines. We might use the Apostles' Creed, we might use a portion of the Westminster Confession of Faith, um, or Westminster Shorter Catechism, or um, Nicene Creed, or something like that. But in doing that, what we're doing, I, I don't know if you remember the place in Scripture where Paul says the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am foremost. Most scholars acknowledge that Paul didn't just come up with that sitting there going, oh, you know what would sound really cool if I said this? He's actually quoting a, a statement that had probably become a common confession in the early church. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm foremost, and people were professing that kind of thing. Um, and then I'll use a, a, a scripture lesson next that is the opposite of where I'm preaching from. And that's designed, again, we're getting into the Word. And then we transition to confession of sin. And the confession of sin is really meant to acknowledge, I don't approach God based on my own merits. And even the fact that I've been called to worship, I still have to acknowledge that as coming to worship him, I am beset by sins and needing of, of his grace uh, to receive me. But if you follow Dr. Chapel's point, then what he's actually saying is we're moving in progress to, towards the cross in some ways. I've been called to worship. I confess my sins. I hear an assurance of pardon from the gospel. Uh, in, in view of the, the pardon that I've been given in the gospel, I responded song, right? It's a right response. Uh, and then you have the element in our worship where there's the giving of the tithes and offerings. And that is that is in view of the gospel and my own response to that grace, which we've just explained, which I've just sung about. I'm actually opening my hands and saying, Lord, you give me all things. I'm returning these gifts to you with thankful heart for the grace that you've extended. In our worship, then, we have a pastoral prayer as the next element. Uh, and that is so either one of the pastors of the church or one of the elders of the church can pray for the needs of the congregation. And that leads us directly into the preaching of the word from the particular scripture lesson that we're studying. So uh, I've been in Exodus in, um, in this coming Sunday as we move to Easter. I'm actually going to be preaching from the book of John. So I've had an Old Testament lesson inserted and I'll have a New Testament lesson here. Um, and then in response to God's word, we sing, right? Praise God for the the glory that of his word and what he's just explained to us. And then on uh, some Sundays of the month, we move straight to the benediction, which is God's blessing to his people. Uh, on the first and third and some special Sundays, we have the Lord's Supper in there as well because the, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching to the breaking of bread, right, this sacrament. And so we celebrate the Lord's Supper um, in that spot. 
And then a doxology. What is a doxology? If you come to Christ's prayers, you hear somebody, you know, all of a sudden at the end of the service, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Um, a doxology is a praise back to God for, uh, for who he is, for what he is, for all that he's shown us and taught us in his word and through this worship. Um, and that's, that's our worship. That's the order of worship. But it is, it is liturgical in the sense of all churches are liturgical. Um, and we just, we, we call it what it is. These are actually just the prescribed ways in which God wants to be worshiped. And, and truthfully, if God wanted to be worshiped with, with, uh, drama in a culture like ancient Greece, where drama is actually a huge part of their, that's their entertainment. Uh, people went to plays and things like that. If God intended for that kind of thing to be a part of worship, he would have, he would have prescribed that, um, because it would have been a great place to do it. Um, in the ancient world, uh, the same is true of you know puppet ministry or other things like that. And, and I don't mean those mockingly. I really mean, you know, we just want to take the elements that the Bible actually prescribes. Yeah, and I was just going to say that in, in a world like Greece, where drama is the big thing, to prescribe that would probably to be to increase the church. Oh, totally. Probably way more than it was. Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. So I, yeah, and I mentioned that point because. The, the everything that the Bible says about the preaching of the word is that it's really just um, very, you know, Paul says, I mean, that God is willing to use the folly of what we preach to proclaim this profound mystery. And it's and in some ways it's shielded from the wise of this world so that they don't actually see it or understand it. Mm-hmm. So worship at Christ's Press isn't intended to be entertainment. It's intended to be worship of the living and true God. Um, and directing our hearts towards him. Well, I've got nothing else, but (laughs) that was a great way to end it. Thank you for, yeah, thanks for doing this. I think that, uh, I hope this is helpful when people think about worship, church. Thank you, Pastor Zahner. Yep, thank you so much, Will. Thank you, everyone, for listening.